Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. For listeners who have been tuning in regularly, you've probably noticed I've got this little spiel off the top where I'm asking people to go over to YouTube. I have a channel over there, Life As A, dot, dot. And basically, it's just highlights from the main audio versions, from the podcast versions of these talks that I have with these great guests. And the reason I'm plugging it so hard is that I think this content really does matter. And I want to get it in front of people. I want to get in front of youth, people that are still undecided, who just don't know what they want to do with their lives. And I think this platform, you know, One YouTube, offers that opportunity kind of get up close and personal with some of these guests in a different format. And if you're just not into audio, if you're not into podcasting as a whole, that's fine. That's okay. Well, you can still digest the content in a different way. I would encourage you, if you do know somebody who's looking for that career, looking for some ideas, direct them over to lifeasa.dot over on YouTube. You know, if they're into videos, they might just find what they're looking for over there. And while you are there, hey, I would always appreciate a like or subscribe. It's the best way to let that algorithm know that the content matters, that it should be put in front of others. Well, I do thank you for letting me ask this of you, but I think it's about time we get into today's episode. You know, I've had the pleasure of welcoming a plethora of guests onto this program since its inception. And in most cases, I've been able to fairly easily slot them into one of two representative categories based on their accumulated professional experiences, namely entrepreneurship or enterprise. Now, in almost all cases, a person's background, even if it is comprised of some degree of crossover between the two worlds, leans more to one side than the other. However, the guest you're going to hear from today had me conflicted. And consider the fact that he's launched and operated several companies in his lifetime. He's also invested in a bunch more. A clear entrepreneur, right? Not so fast. He's also had high-level experiences working as head of Google for Startups Japan. He was the CTO of Japan's largest energy company, TEPCO, and even involved in strategy for multinational Zurich Insurance. And currently, he's a partner at Jira Ventures, a $300 million climate tech fund. Now, to compound things further, he's also the host and producer of Japan's first and largest startup podcast in Japan. So you tell me, entrepreneur or career professional? I'm going to let you decide after listening to our guest, renowned Japan startup expert Tim Romero. And just know that you'll also be treating yourself to a treasure trove of insight into both worlds. So if you're at all curious or even conflicted over which option might best fit you, you'll stand to benefit by leaning into this episode and all that our guest has to share. So with all of this noted, let me more formally introduce him to you and we can launch into things. Tim Romero is a partner at Jira Ventures, a new $300 million fund focused on investing in decarbonization and sustainability startups and working with Japan's energy companies to take carbon off the grid and out of the atmosphere. It's a chance to help solve the most important problem humanity faces and one that Tim refers to as something worth waking up early for. 
Now, Tim is deeply involved in Japan's startup community as an investor, founder, author, and educator. And he has founded several startups in Japan over the last 25 years. He's also taught entrepreneurship and corporate innovation at New York University's Tokyo campus. Further, he was the head of Google for Startups Japan, where he supported startups and worked with government and academic leaders to help shape startup policy. He and his team designed unique programs and brought experts from around the world to Japan to help fill knowledge gaps in the startup ecosystem. Now, blending this diverse entrepreneurial skill and knowledge, Tim has worked with a wide array of Japanese enterprises, including TEPCO, Japan's largest power utility, on startup engagement and innovation strategy. And finally, Tim shares his knowledge about the Japanese startup ecosystem on his podcast, Disrupting Japan, the first and largest startup podcast in Japan. So with all of this noted, here is my conversation with Tim Romero. Yeah, so welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really excited for this. We're just speaking off air. It feels like on LinkedIn, we have about a billion connections between us and uh, <laughs> never actually met up. So I'm excited for that alone. And plus, of course, to, to dig into to all your work experiences. So again, thanks for coming on to this show. I do have the first segment lined up here. It's something called Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's a segment where I just kind of read off a definition related to what the guest is all about. And surprise, surprise, I went with startup for you. So right. yeah, here we go. As defined by Wikipedia, let's see what they've got for us and maybe you can comment after. Okay. Startup. A startup is a company or project undertaken by an entrepreneur to seek, develop, and validate a scalable business model. While entrepreneurship includes all new businesses, including self-employment and businesses that do not intend to go public, startups are new businesses that intend to grow large beyond the solo founder. At the beginning, startups face high uncertainty and have high rates of failure, but a minority of them do go on to become successful and influential. Admittedly, this is a rather cut and dry sort of look at startup and what it's all about, but based off of your experiences, your unique insights, I'd love to hear what you have to add to this or maybe even take away from it. I think that's, it's really, I mean, that's a really, like everything else in Wikipedia, I mean, that's accurate. Yeah. But there is one point in there I want to, highlight that I'm really glad worked its way in, and I'm sure there was all kind of flame wars behind it to, to get it in there, <laughs> where they said the purpose of the startup is to test a business model. Yeah. And startups are kind of disposable entities. The biggest difference between like a startup and an enterprise isn't scale, it isn't structure. It's that a startup's job is to search for that business model, to, to find it, to create mm. it, to, to pivot three or four times to identify it. And to go bankrupt if they can't, which is what happens most of the time. Yeah. Whereas a, an enterprise, its job is to optimize a already defined business model and to scale it. Yeah, they're they're fundamentally different creatures. And I mean, I've spent my career jumping back between the two of them. But that's it's a good definition. I, I, I'm. That, that one point jumped out at me because a lot of people don't don't get that part. Yeah, it's a fine distinction. I really like that. I'm glad that you picked up on that. To me as well. I mean, startups are, are much more malleable in, in form and function, right? Like that's, if that's a correct sort of way of looking yeah. at it. Right out of the gate. <laughs> I like what you're bringing to this. And perhaps you ought to be rewriting or, or editing this uh, Wikipedia def definition here. Oh, I have no <laughs> desire to get into Wikipedia editing wars. No. <laughs> all right. All right. 
Well, I would like to slide into another segment here. That was a nice, nice start for us here, a day in the life. And as noted off the top, I mean, you are a partner at Jarrah Ventures, a rather new $300 million fund focusing on investing in decarbonization and sustainability startups. But it'd be interesting, I think, for listeners and for myself as well, selfishly speaking, to hear a little bit about the work that you do. You know, is there a, a typical day, typical week? Does such a thing exist? No, there, there's there's no such thing as a typical day. But I'll give you a few random samplings of days and things that I'm working on there. So some of it is like the really fun stuff, which is talking with founders and evaluating new business ideas and deciding where to deploy money. And that's sadly a very small part of the job. That That's a, a part that I really enjoy. Mm. But most of the time it is spent training principals and associates, uh, helping to find strategy, trying to figure out how to bring this, this startup innovation from around the world into a Japanese company. So it, it's a lot of bureaucracy that's not necessarily fun on the day you're doing it, but has a really important long-term impact. I'll do a lot of public speaking, not only get the word out about the Jira Ventures Fund, but just educating people on the importance of green tech and clean tech and how government and startups need to work together. And in my copious free time, I run a podcast called Disrupting Japan. And it sounds like to me, like both those worlds, you know, the, the podcast, including all the stuff that you just mentioned, a lot about building relationships, you know, meeting with people, speaking with people, educating, a lot of communicative aspects to your work. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that the startup world, the venture capital world in particular is very relationship based. But I, I think that Japan, more so than America or Europe, is very relationship-based. Mm. People pay attention to whether you keep your promises and, and who you are as a person. So I think those relationships in Japan are extremely important no matter what line of business you're in. Yeah, no doubt. In, in terms of, I guess, the, the parts of your day that you get the most pleasure from doing, yeah, you might have alluded to it off the top there, but I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Actually, I enjoy, I enjoy most of it. I, I love the public speaking and the public engagement. I, I I love working with with new founders, whether it's like officially as part of my Jira Ventures role or just mentoring or advising or, or people hit me up for random advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, at, and that's great. I love that. That's that's really enjoyable. Anything that's dealing with founders is fun because you you tend to be talking with really passionate, intelligent people working really hard to solve interesting problems. And, you know, how is that not interesting, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I'd imagine you get exposed to quite a bit of that within the podcast. You know, the, the, the Disrupting Japan is, so, I, I had no idea it would ever get as big as it has. It's the number one startup podcast in Japan. So yeah, <laughs> it, it did yeah, kind of blow it, it up just, on you. <laughs> yeah, it did. But no, I, I, I did it just because I thought it'd be fun to sit down with some of my founder friends and, and have this kind of structured conversation, which I mean, is still kind of what it is. It's just much bigger. And, and I think just over the last, well, some of it, I think is just consistency. I've been doing it for almost 10 years now. There, there's just so much interest in Japanese startups from abroad that I, I've sort of been pulled along with that. And, and it's been really rewarding on a personal level as well. Just the chance to meet people. It's, it's 
fascinating. I learn so much from every every founder I talk to there. No doubt. I can second all of that in terms of hosting this podcast and speaking to people like yourself as well. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of value in that. But, uh, but also too, I can see how for somebody like yourself who is passionate about business, who's, who's passionate about enterprise startup worlds, you know, it all kind of brings it together for you. Well, maybe we can meander into another segment here. I have one called Pathways. And researching for this talk, I did visit your Disrupting Japan website, of course, for the podcast itself. And it does go into some detail about your- You read my 5,000-word bio. <laughs> I got through it all. I got through all right, it all. Way to go. <laughs> no, no, no. But it provides great insight in terms of how you made it to Japan, why you made it here, you know, how you got involved in startups and, and, and everything else in between, which was great insight, like I said. But I'm wondering if there might be a Cliff Notes version of this for, <laughs> <laughs> for listeners to kind of highlight some of these things. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough to to condense fifty years of, of you know. no no in a really brief explanation. I mean, I came to Japan as a professional musician a very long time ago. My music career was brief, even by Japanese standards. You know, it just did not work out as expected. Moved to LA. I did the music music thing there for a few years professionally. Then was just kind of done with music. It's um. Wonderful, wonderful hobby, a terrible career choice. I, I've been programming computers since I was 11. So I got a job at this trading company doing computer stuff. They found out I spoke Japanese. They transferred me back to Japan. In 1997, this whole internet thing sounded interesting. So I quit my job, started my first startup, sold that a few years later, did that a few more times. Along the way, I've done a couple, you know, a lot of respectable jobs as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ran software development for Zurich Financial. I've worked at hedge funds. I ran market entry for a U.S. startup. Uh, I helped TEPCO spin out their corporate venture capital group. I was um, head of Google for Startups Japan for a number of years. I've taught corporate innovation and entrepreneurship at New York University's Tokyo campus. I, I've done a lot. You have. So the, the you path, have. My that, pathway that, is kind of meandering. Yeah, exactly. But but that's part of the reason why you know, truthfully, I got through that big because <laughs> right? it, it's absolutely <laughs> fascinating though. Because like you you have experiences in so many different areas. It felt like paragraph to paragraph. Okay, where is he going next? But it was all high level <laughs> achievement and execution and success along. Well, most of it success. Along well, a couple the way. of failures in there too. Yeah, but for the most part. I mean, but that's that's to be expected for anyone and all of us, right? I guess in, in looking back on all of that, returning to maybe your youth, you, you look back on it in a retrospective sense, you can be like, okay, well, this aspect of my personality aligned with where I ended up or where I was going. Yeah, I think, well, there, there are two things. One, I, I think what I realized when I was really young, like when I was heading off to college, and another thing that kind of gelled with me in sort of my mid-30s, and just when I was heading off to college, I, I just did not want life to be boring. I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted exactly, but I, I just, and the vast majority of what I saw going on around me was just not interesting. And I just focused on things that I thought was interesting. I majored in physics because I thought it was interesting. Uh, I spent a lot of time uh, on the road with my bands because I thought that was interesting. And I, I wasn't sure where anything was leading, but it was just something that that I was interested in, passionate about. And, and 
later on, I, and like I said, what gelled in the, my 30s is sort of an extension of that. I did not plan to stay in Japan that long. I was kind of coming here to check things out for a couple of years. And, you know, 30 years later, I'm still here. Sounds familiar. But yeah, yeah, it happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, it does. But it, it was always kind of like, well, there's this new project. There's this new business opportunity. There's just this, you know, something new that was happening. And, and it was more like finding something I wanted to do that added value to, to something. You know, and I don't necessarily mean add value in a save the world kind of value necessarily, although that's what attracted me to to Jira is the the decarbonization angle. But adding value in that if you're building software, who's going to use it? What's what's the benefit? What's you know, and that kind of directed which projects I undertook and which jobs I I accepted and if you read my excessively long bio, it, it looks like I've had this very random path, but to me, it seems all very logical and linear, mostly. Would you say a lot of it was driven by curiosity? Was that a big part? Like you just, you wanted to explore different things? Like you said, maybe not. Kind of. I mean, I, I'm intensely curious about lots of things, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do it for a living or, or accept a job. So I've, I've started like four real startups, but I've been involved with probably, I don't know, over a dozen projects that never got funding or never got full-time staff. And, and a lot of the, the curiosity thing, you, you learn to check that. Like, okay, this is interesting. It's fun, but all right, what value is it adding? Who's going to use this? Who's, who's going who's gonna to care? Okay. So that, that became your sort of model for evaluating or making decisions was, was that this, this value based. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I had to identify something, that's probably the closest I could come to, uh, to, to a, a North star, if you will. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I've, I've had, geez, probably over a hundred guests. Well, I have had over a hundred guests on this program and I haven't had that answer yet in terms of, you know, what has been guiding somebody along. It's interesting. It's a different perspective. And I think it, it's, helpful for listeners who maybe one can relate to this or two might just, you know, have a new vantage point to kind of like try out some ideas for themselves. So yeah, I like that. Well, we can slide into this other segment of Q&A discovery kind of continues back and forth. And again, returning to your professional development trajectory, you know, it has involved, as you've mentioned already, a lot of high level experiences working within organizations, also within startups, your own startups, your own ventures. But from the perspective of a listener who hasn't had any of this, you know, either working for an organization within a startup or anything in between, you know, it'd be interesting, I think, for them to hear if you could maybe compare and contrast some of those experiences. I, I think one of the things people are most surprised at. So I worked at TEPCO, which is Japan's largest power utility, and I left TEPCO to run Google for Startups Japan. So... I don't think you will find two organizations on the planet that have more different corporate cultures than TEPCO and Google. TEPCO is conservative, even by Japanese standards, and they own it. They know that. That's that's their whole brand. You know, they literally keep the lights on. But both companies are far more like each other than either one is like a start. Hmm. So that 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 interests me right away. I mean, that that's provocative. It, 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 it is. It, it is, and that's neither good nor bad. I mean, like I said, my career, I've, I've jumped back and forth between the two. But anytime you have 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees, you've got layers of management, you've got processes, you've got compliance, you've got controls, you've got a lot of very necessary administrative overhead. That just doesn't exist as a, as a startup. And again, it goes back to what I was saying before, highlighting that difference about a startup being a, a kind of disposable concept, a disposable structure that you're, you're testing things, you're looking, you're seeking, whereas an enterprise, no matter how innovative it may be as an enterprise, is still optimizing. What would you say to like an organization, maybe Tefco is not the best example because as you already highlighted, like it was highly, highly traditional, even by Japanese standards. But part of your role there was internally creating programs, innovation development programs. And those sometimes in some organizations, almost in a way, can sometimes, maybe not TEPCO, but in other organizations, can operate almost like their own entity within the organization. I mean, I don't, TEPCO did some innovative and is doing some innovative things. Uh, I just mean their, their structure. If you've got a very traditionally structured organization and they know it yeah. and they own it, yeah. they can figure out how to work around that yeah. and how to innovate within that structure. Yeah. It's the organizations that think they're innovative and have the think they're flexible and, and are not that have the problems. So we did a lot of cool stuff at TEPCO. In fact, there was uh, TEPCO and Google jointly launched a project called uh, Sunkel, which you could drop a pin on Google Maps on your house and it would show you how much it would cost to put solar panels on there and how much electricity they generate and what your payback time was for anywhere in Japan. We ran hackathons, ideathons. We did a lot of really cool stuff. So it's just whatever organization you're in, you need to figure out how to get things done within that culture, within that structure. Because the culture is not going to change. Yeah, for you. I guess, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what I was kind of driving at is, say, within a big organization like that, when they do have that that aim to create some sort of innovative project or program, what is it like working within that, within like the confines of that structure? But like you said, they have this aim to be innovative. They want to do these things. How does that experience contrast to that of just a straight startup that's off on its own? The only place I think it really overlaps is is in like the business model design, right? Where we are trying to like create this new business model uh, and maybe in some of the relationships. Other than that, it's, it's completely different. Now, in what ways? Like I'm trying to come from the perspective again of like a young listener here who doesn't have these experience, who doesn't have this added insight or background on either. How would you break that down even well, in simpler terms, maybe for somebody like that? I, I'd say the biggest difference is in terms of the objectives. So if you're running a startup, the market is the ultimate arbiter of whether your idea is good or not. If you have customers, if they're willing to pay for it, you're doing okay. You're doing something right. No matter what anybody says. At a large company, you've got this different kind of mandate where you've got to introduce technology that complements the mission of the, of the large company. So everyone loves the idea of innovation in the abstract, but they hate change. So when it's like, okay, well, we need to change the way you're doing this. Well, you're going to get pushback. And there's then you're back into the regular corporate politics with a small P, you know, where you're doing negotiations, you're doing, you know, the, the usual corporate stuff. And I, I'm okay doing either way, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I think I'm the exception there. I, I think most people tend to prefer one way or the other. And, and honestly, you know, 
Any good corporate innovation team needs one or two people that are career employees from that organization who love doing the political stuff. Yeah. And, you know, because that's that's important. Yeah. That's as important as the the technology itself. Getting back to the point you just raised there, I mean, what is it for you that 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 you you can find value or you do find enjoyment in both sides? Like you said, most would probably choose one or the other. I am attracted to hard problems. <laughs> Maybe I'm a bit of a masochist. <laughs> um, you said it. <laughs> I'm joking. No, I know, I know, I know. But I know it's true. So like now that startups are booming in Japan and it's easy to raise money, I want to work for large companies. But I don't know. Like, again, that's, that's where I'm adding the most value yeah, yeah. right now. I give a lot of thought to starting a new startup idea, a new startup. I was experimenting a lot of, of AI ideas, but just personally, I wasn't adding a lot of value there. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people out there doing not exactly what I was thinking about, but close enough, but much better that it, it just, it wasn't feeling right. But within the enterprise space, this really moves the needle, both in terms of the startup ecosystem and in terms of like pulling carbon out of the air, pulling carbon off the grid, like a, a real meaningful impact. And it's not easy, but it's rewarding. And I, I guess that's what that's always attracted me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the rewards that you can kind of derive out of it would be different, I suppose, as well. I mean, the journeys that you're on working for a straight startup are going to be much, much different than what it might be like within some of these large organizations that have these innovation programs. I would assume as well with resources behind you in a bigger organization, you can kind of get out there rather quickly as compared to maybe a startup without funding, right? It's going to take a little bit longer, perhaps. Perhaps well, not. Well, it can, but I mean, it, it's... So my job really when I'm interacting with startups is like I'm no longer I'm no longer in the arena, right? I'm I'm like a coach. I can I can advise, I can make introductions, I can I can tell them, I can help them learn from my mistakes rather than having them learn from their own. But I I'm not like the one passing the ball, right? I I'm not and then yeah, I miss that. I was gonna but, say, are you okay with that? Is that something that now is is tough to to kind of grapple with, or is that something that's oh yeah, sometimes I miss it tremendously, but I'm I'm pretty good on the coaching side too. And so they're both rewarding. Okay. Well, I've got this other question. And I want to return to your point or your time rather at Google, head of Google for Startups Japan, where you're supporting startups and work with government and academic leaders to help shape the startup policy. And on paper, I mean, based on what we've been discussing so far, this would seem or would have seemed to have been a perfect fit for you. And yet I have this quote from you stating, I loved having the job at Google, but I didn't enjoy doing the job. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that sentiment. Boy, that's hard to explain briefly, but I, I think it was, it, it's a wonderful job and I think it's still open. So if anyone's interested in applying, I recommend it, but maybe it goes back to solving hard problems again. Mm. So I was running events, uh, I, I was spending relatively little time actually helping startups directly. The, the programs we were running are very helpful and very useful, but I wasn't interacting with startups. I was doing a lot of internal reporting, managing budgets, and it, it just- It's different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different. And I didn't feel like I was having, I wasn't, there weren't hard problems to solve. I didn't feel like I was really moving the needle- either for Google or for the startups directly and put some feelers out. And I found out about this new green tech fund that was ramping up and we talked for 
a little while and I decided that, yeah, that's, that's really where I want to be right now. That's, that's something where I can, I can move the needle. Would it be something like along the way across your career? And I'm sure for a lot of other people as well, that each of these experiences, you're learning more about yourself and, and what you want and what you don't want, maybe, as you're just kind of outlining there, your experiences at Google. On paper, you probably went into that thinking, oh, this is perfect. This is meant for me. But you find out where, where you're at in life as well plays into all these things, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's two things that are important. So one thing is what the 25-year-old you wants is going to be very different from what the 35-year-old you wants and what the the 50-year-old you wants is going to be very, very different with a 35-year-old one. So at least in my experience, I mean, there are some people who just find their passion right out of school and stick with it until they retire and God bless them. But I think most people change a lot. And I think the other thing is in terms of like finding out who you are, my my own way of thinking on that is, is that the only way to really know who you are is you've got to put yourself in a lot of different types of situations. And you will act differently in different types of situations, but there's going to be some part of you that is always the same and, and always reacts the same, no matter what type of situation you're in. And that's who you are. I agree. We're always growing. The experiences shape us, you know, who we become, but you're right. Ultimately, like a, the core of who we are kind of remains the same. And it's just kind of like yeah. growing branches and, and, and evolving that way, perhaps. Okay. In terms of, I guess, this world of startups, you know, and, and what it entails, what it's all about, what would be some of the challenges associated with it that, you know, if you're, you're, you're picking up a book on entrepreneurship or startups, it's going to cover most of the bases. But based, again, on your experiences, what are some ones that are maybe a little bit more hidden that people wouldn't necessarily assume or uh, know about? You know, I think there are, starting a startup is simpler than a lot of people make it out to be. By simpler, I don't mean easier. I mean, like, fewer moving parts. I think that as a new founder, there's really three things you need to focus on. First, selling things, getting out there, having customers, providing value, and value means people are paying you for whatever you're offering. The second is finding the right people because, you know, you being the sole founder or a small team, that just, that's not going to take you very far. You've, you've got to be the person getting the right people, telling people why they should come and join you and be part of your journey. And third and final, and this is the one everyone focuses on, but it's the least important of the three is you've got to go out there and raise some funds. But if you can do the first two, if you can get customers and you can get a good team, you'll have no problem raising funds. So I, I and again, I don't think I'm saying anything your listeners haven't heard a hundred times already, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, getting back to the coach metaphors, like those are the fundamentals. I was going right? to say Just fundamentals. Practice yeah. The, <laughs> practice the fundamentals. It's always what it comes back to you, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's focusing on certain things and at certain points as well. I think it's a good point that you raise. you know, a lot of times these days it's, you know, perhaps backwards where they're focusing on funding. How am I going to get the funds? How am I going to get the funds? Whereas they're not really putting in the time on the first two things that you'd mentioned. And yeah, I think yeah. That's, that's sound advice, fundamental advice, if you will. Yeah, I like that. Now, in terms of, I guess, some of the rewards of, of this world, again, same question, you know, just rephrasing in a different way. What would be some of the, like, the rewards of a life within a startup ecosystem that might oh. go unnoticed or unchecked by some people? 
I, I think the by far the most rewarding thing about it is, I mean, it can be very financially rewarding, and that's that's great. But the, by far the most rewarding thing about it, I found, is that people using your creation. If you're building software and having customers say, this is great, this has helped me run my business better, the kind of collaborative relationship you can have where they'll say, you know, what if, what about this? We're having this other problem and just seeing that, that impact at seeing that value, that direct connection is something you just absolutely cannot get at a large enterprise. There's too many moving pieces, but at a startup, everyone's involved in everything there. There's just that wonderful connection to the customer. And, and I think that's one thing that people who've worked at an enterprise can never really understand. It's not innovation. It's not, they can get all that. The one thing that I don't think you can understand unless you've worked at a startup or a small business is what an incredibly valuable and precious thing a customer is. Absolute lifeblood, right? Well, I mean, not just economically, but that too. Yeah. Definitely that yeah. too. Yeah. But but like this this kind of idea sharing, this kind of shared journey, it's I, I think that is far and away the most rewarding thing about running a startup or even being being at a startup. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's another perspective I haven't heard as well. I think it's a really insightful one. Well, what would you say to the idea of like just the variety of work as well that you're involved in? Like you're wearing about a billion different hats probably early on, especially if you're starting it, you know, one, two people, three people that are starting this venture, you know, you're, yeah. you're getting your toes into just about everything. If you are someone that, that enjoys learning and kind of diving into the deep end, yeah, startups are fantastic for that because usually you're, you're blazing a new trail, you're trying new things. It's it's a lot of responsibility very fast. It it is quite frankly you won't have the safety nets that you'll have at large organizations. Whereas you know you'll have that responsibility, but it is responsibility. So if you're working at you know Unilever or Johnson and Johnson, and you're a marketer, and your campaign performs forty percent below expectations, all right, that's bad. You're not going to lose your job. You're not going to get demoted. It just it happens. If your second campaign performs forty percent below expectations, okay, you might get some additional training. People might look at you sideways. You're not going to lose your job. At a startup, not only will you lose your job, the whole company's going to go under because you won't have the revenues. You won't hit the next funding target. So it's it can get intense. But with the right team and the people who are focused, it's a lot like playing sports. Or, or playing in a band. And, you know, everyone is, is focused and, and working together. And everyone, when it works, everyone is willing to contribute ideas about anything. And that, that can be a whole lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that metaphor that you just use there. I think that fits perfectly. I'll get one more quick question. You know, in terms of being part of a startup and the experience there, almost like an accelerant for self-growth as well. If you're you're tapping into all these different areas, whether it's finance, whether it's the sales side of things, that presumably as well, you know, helps you grow and develop in so many other ways that maybe you might not necessarily do if you're working within an organization or within one department. That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that, both in general and from my own experience. So like suddenly I need to to learn how to sell. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't really want to, but, but <laughs> yeah. 
I had no choice. So I did. And it turned out eventually I got pretty good at it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So some of it is like the, the stuff you'll, you'll get a chance to do. Some of it is stuff you can be forced to do, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a definitely a way to, to expand your horizons, to try new things, either because you want to, or because you're going to have to. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, well said. All right. Well, I've got this middle segment here, a water cooler story segment. And here I just invite guests to indulge listeners with a story related to their work, to their experiences. And I'd I'd love to hear what you've got for us today, Tim. I'll give you a a moment of flaming failure. (laughs) And I I did a whole lengthy podcast episode about this, but it was several years ago. My Japanese was, it was okay. Okay. And I was having to give a speech in Japanese in front of about 1,500 people. I'm, I'm guessing um, it was it, it was better than okay, perhaps. <laughs> 1,500 people. Well, yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's it's something I'd practiced it. And I was I was ready and I was talking about my startup. And, and like, so it, I, I was good. Yeah. I was fine. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, I thought it was a 20-minute speech. It turned out to be 30. So I had to kind of like fill. And my team had given me the wrong slide deck. It was like from four or five versions ago and the slides were in a different order and some were missing. Oh, wow. It was not pretty. Ouch. It was, it was just awful. Yeah. Um, and like the lizard, my lizard brain jumped out and like, <laughs> and it, Ooh boy, almost at 30 minutes, the MC came back out, got the audience back in the groove <laughs> I just wanted to go home, but, but I couldn't because the speaker's table is like right up in front. So, and there's no side doors. So I would have had to like go through half the audience to, to escape. And yeah. so now I just kind of had to sit there and endure for about an hour. And uh, so after it was over, I'd said, okay, I'm just going to go grab my coat, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Cause I just wanted the whole earth to open me up and swallow me. And as I was walking towards the coat check, older Japanese gentleman kind of tapped me on the shoulder and he said to me in Japanese, wow, that was, that was amazing. I don't think I would ever have the guts to do a speech like that in English. And I don't know, it just something like broke in my head. And I was like, well, thank you. And more and more people started like chatting with me in Japanese and, and like kind of joking with me in a friendly way about how difficult it is to give speeches in foreign languages. And, and like, I walked out of there with a stack of Meishi business cards, kind of like objectively, it was one of the most successful speeches of my career, but Oh my God, it was awful. I I, I literally had nightmares about it for months. I would wake up in the middle of the night. It just, Oh my God, it was awful. (laughs) But I guess like the, the takeaway there though is like even your perceptions of of these moments sometimes come across in different ways, right? And obviously like the outcome there seemingly kind of worked out for you. It worked out. It was a horrible speech, man. There's no <laughs> now, no one said it was good. They 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 admired my courage. There's a difference there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, again, I mean, yeah, yeah. I I guess we all have these different moments you know along the way and uh, some challenges at the same time but but i guess you know having that perspective on things as well and 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 seeing how things could be interpreted in different ways and and whatnot yeah all right well all the same i do appreciate you for sharing that is uh you know we, we we all have these moments but not a lot of people like to always share them or feel 
brave enough to do so. So I think that kind of breaks down the, the, the barriers and the walls for, for people as well who are challenging or, you know, entertaining things that might seem impossible. Well, you know, what, what is the worst that could happen, right? I mean, there's a, a positive outcome in this story. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. And though people are really friendly and forgiving. They really are yeah. in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Especially when it comes to presentations, things of that nature. And hey, you know, doing it in a different language. Yeah. All right. Well, we are rounding the bend into this last segment, a crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking towards the future, trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, on this program, I've spoken with a number of entrepreneurs. And oftentimes people say that right now is one of the best times to get into entrepreneurship. I mean, in terms of the amount of resources available, you know, tools, uh, geez, just with AI alone these days. So the opportunities are there. But on the other hand, I mean, theoretically speaking, because of all this, I mean, the, the barriers to entry into this world of entrepreneurship seem to be a lot lower than ever. And in that hmm. sense, maybe drives up the competition. These might be some ideas that young people would be considering or on the fence about. So if, if you had to give advice to someone who has some sort of interest in entrepreneurship, but still has some qualms about it based off some of the reasoning I just provided, what, what would you say to that person? I mean, I, I would agree with your your previous guest that this is a fantastic time to be an entrepreneur, to be starting a company. I'd say that it is much more competitive than it's ever been. Yeah. But that's not necessarily a problem. I, I think that the acceptance, the willingness of both individuals and companies to try new technologies, the acceptance of startups as a viable alternative on both consumer and business side is much greater than before. So both the market side, both the supply and demand side are much larger. In terms of specific advice, I'd say don't chase trends. Don't try to do an AI startup if you're not an AI person, if you're not adding value to it. The other thing I think the worst advice ever given and always given to founders is follow your passion. That's terrible advice. Don't do that. I was a professional musician. I was surrounded by very passionate people. I, I think passion doesn't lead to success. Success leads to passion. When you are building something that your customers love and they're telling you you love it and they, they love your creation, you become very passionate about it. But if you only have passion, some parts of the journey are going to suck. There are going to be days that are just rough. And passion alone won't get you through it. So. Figure out where you add value, right? Figure out what you're doing that's making customers' lives better somehow. So don't, don't think so much about passion. Think about adding value. And I think you'll be way ahead of the pack. Yeah. Perhaps, I mean, maybe combining areas of interest with that, you know, value proposition of what you've, you've been raising a few times during this conversation, you know, like starting from that perspective of, you know, what interests you and, and then going from there. How can I? Absolutely. And another thing brainstorming is to look at the intersection of what you're good at. So sure, there's a lot of AI startups, but maybe you're deeply knowledgeable about, I don't know, equestrian horses. Okay. That's a narrow niche, but I bet there's not too many people doing it. And if you've got like two or three, you know, deep skills or special skills and can find an intersection of like three skills. Yeah, you can be the best in the world at that, whatever that those three intersection is, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm going to fire one more question at you. 
you've been gracious enough to, to spend some time here and answer all these other questions. I'm hoping I can get one uh, more in pleasure. for you. This one is based around, I guess, some of the chatter within the startup ecosystem right now. I mean, certainly at Jira Ventures, what you're probably coming across most often, you know, environmental matters, but, you know, tech, I'm sure is being sprinkled in there as well, amongst many other things. But what are some things that are on your radar right now that are of interest to you? I'll give you two answers. Wearing my my Jira Ventures partner hat and wearing my kind of disrupting Japan, just Tim Romero hat. So in terms of energy transformation, I, I think it's fascinating what's happening with, with hydrogen. Hydrogen is a replacement for natural gas in some places. The falling price of solar, the fact that a lot of these subsidies are being removed and the sustainable you know, from cars to energy production to solar power and wind power are now one of the cheapest forms of energy. So I, I think just climate tech, green tech in general is a fascinating area. To get into specifics, probably like I, I'd have to get really wonky and talk about energy storage, and that's way off topic. Personally, like in Japan, I, I find what's happening in robotics really interesting. I think there's a lot of interesting work being done in UI in general, sort of the the human, the way humans and machines interact type of UI being done. I think Japan has an opportunity to really lead the world in solutions for elder care because they're about 10 years ahead of where Europe is and 20 years ahead of what US is, China and China is heading for. So I, I think there's a huge opportunity there. I haven't seen many really good solutions yet, but uh, I think there'll be it's a space to watch for sure. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to say, Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed this from start to finish. I can't believe we're we're 45 minutes into this. And uh, yeah, like I said, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for joining the program. Oh, pleasure's all mine. I, I had a blast. Now, for those interested in learning more about Tim and his work, you can do so via Jera Ventures. You can also find him on LinkedIn and you can listen to his number one rated Japan startup podcast, Disrupting Japan, wherever you access your podcasts. And for reference, links to all of this will be in the show notes. And also too, hey, if you like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend and share. You can also show further support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you access your podcasts. And then lastly, as I mentioned off the top, head on over to YouTube. I do have that channel which hosts highlights from these audio conversations that I have and kind of check out the content in a different way. And if you do get over there, I would absolutely love, love, love that like or subscribe. And now don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life as a, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.